Welcome to the Sport Industry Access podcast, episode two, how being an elite rugby referee can inspire your career in education. Welcome to another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. Each week, I'll provide you an interview of a top sport professional who has had an impact to a specific field in the sports industry to help you become a more successful sport professional. My goal each week is to inspire, educate and provide a better access for you to become the best you can be in the sports industry. Now getting back to the show... Today's special guest, I'd like to welcome you, Greg Davis, who was a professional rugby referee. During his career, he has been involved in several international and European fixtures. Today, he is the current headmaster at Shiplake College. During this episode, we'll be covering how being a professional referee can create transferable skills to other careers, such as teaching. Greg, it's great to have you on the show. Can you talk us through your rugby refereeing career journey? When did it all start? Well, it started, I would say, after university. Uh, Ed, I had played rugby since the age of 11, well, rugby and football, uh, and had been an avid sportsman all through that time. I captained uh, my school teams, both at comprehensive school and then at uh, public school in the sixth form. Then I went on to captain St Andrews University. I played for North Wales and played for Scottish universities and then came down after university down to Hertfordshire um, to get a job as a teacher. And it was then that obviously I became much more involved in coaching and also um, being a little um, myopic, I had trouble uh, seeing the ball, playing at fullback, that was quite a difficult thing. And although I had contact lenses I could use for football, I couldn't use the same sort of contact lenses uh, for rugby. It was kind of the infancy of contact lenses at that stage. So I took a, I put the brakes on my playing career and did a lot more coaching. And then through coaching of young people, you referee the odd bounce game, and then you end up refereeing your own uh, team against um, other schools. And that's really how it began. I went from Hertfordshire up to Edinburgh uh, with a change of um, job. And I coached the first 15 at uh, Fetters College, a school in Edinburgh. And from from now and then, uh, I was invited to referee other school first 15 matches. Um, So I I really coached, I would say, until the age of, or properly coached, to the age of about 35. Um, I then um, rather stupidly went back to playing and uh, played for a, a team called Kostorfen and was happily ensconced in their second 15 playing um, at fly half and, and really not moving very fast at all. And then uh, the first team fly half got injured and I was uh, 
asked to play in the first team. And that first game, I got hit, um, or tackled, I should say, very strongly by a couple of 19-year-old flankers and thought, this is the time to stop playing and um, perhaps do a bit more refereeing. So that's when I started, 35-36, started with the Edinburgh Rugby Referees um, Society and started right at the bottom um, with non-league. I think there were about seven divisions in Scottish rugby at the time, and I started in non-league uh, rugby. And I was very fortunate. I, I got watched and got promoted quite regularly, uh, two or three times perhaps uh, during the season. Had some great mentors, um, a chap called Jim Fleming, who refereed at least two or three uh, World Cups, and another chap called Johnny Batchgalupo, uh, both of whom um, refereed regularly in Europe. And uh, they took me under their wing, and eventually, you know, uh, at the age of about 38, 39, I started refereeing first division up in Scotland, and then I was lucky enough in, gosh, 2001, something like that, to be selected by Scotland uh, to go and referee in the Under-21 World Cup in South Africa, which was a wonderful experience. Um, a couple of referees there uh, have gone on to uh, to great things, and two, in fact, have gone on to referee World Cup finals. Nigel Owens is, is quite a good friend, and he obviously refereed um, the last World Cup, and uh, a South African best known for running off the field after the Scotland-Australia match at the last uh, World Cup. So they were all there in, in 2001. Um, came back from that, refereed um, a few times in the European Cup, what was called the Heineken Cup there, and then got an opportunity to officiate in the Six Nations in 2004, which was, again, hugely exciting. Unfortunately, it coincided with uh, my getting a job as headmaster at Shiplake, and coming down from Edinburgh to a, a new job where I was going to be running a, a day and boarding school, having been away for, I think, 23 weekends out of um, out of 52 the year before, that was just never going to work with a new job. So I took, um, very sadly, the decision to, um, to stop being a, a part-time uh, rugby referee. And uh, that was it, really. And I, I've done the old refereeing bits and pieces since then, but um, it really finished in 2004, probably when I was the um, video referee for Wales against Italy in, in 2004 Six Nations. That's fantastic. I find that really, really fascinating, Greg. Just relating back to the, your decision being a professional rugby referee, what would you say the core skills you need to do that as a profession? I think you need to be able to make decisions and you need to be able to make them quickly and you've got to do that with authority. That's one. You also need to know the laws. Uh, you need to know the laws of the game better than the players think um, they know them. And there will always be occasions where something just does not look right and you have to make that split-second um, judgment. Back in 2004, we didn't have uh, the help that the current referees have with the video with the video referee. We had we were certainly mic'd up to the touch judges, and that was a fantastic help. Uh, but the ability to make quick decisions um, in a split second uh, was really really important. I also think um, being able to man manage 
um, was terrifically important. You've got 30 professionals on the field and you are assisting them uh, with with the game. That's how I always saw it. You were never, it's a cliche, but uh, the referee should never be the the person that people are watching. The best referees are the ones that aren't noticed. And certainly I was uh, wanted to be like that. Uh, but you need to, to manage people and particularly players like scrum halves who are always talking to you. You need to manage the front row. Uh, and I've had some, some awful uh, games where I've not managed uh, the front row um, very well. And uh, it's ended up with almost ruining the game. But with, you've got to manage these people and do it with a sense of humor um, without patronizing them. So I think knowing the laws or, or knowing your business, I, I suppose, knowing my business then was a referee. So knowing that extremely well, uh, make, being able to make uh, good decisions, obviously being fit, um, almost you, you have to take that for granted. You can't not be fit um, and be a, a top-class referee. But um, to man-manage people, to make those decisions, um, let me take a, a split second. I think those three things, to, um, together with a sense of humour, probably the most important, Ed. Touching back onto the fitness side of things, did you have your own little training schedule to make sure you can catch up with those fast wingers or even the pack? Like, How did you cope with the training side of the job? Well, I could, to be honest, Ed, I could have trained until I was blue in the face. I would never be as fast as Jason Robinson. And if you watch um, Italy versus England in 2004 in the Six Nations, you'll see a, a, um, Jason Robinson scoring a fantastic try down the wing and this cart horse um, lolloping alongside him about 20 metres back. That's me. And I was pretty fit then, but there was no way I could match um, Jason Robinson's speed. But in terms of, of fitness, yes, I did have um, my own fitness uh, regime. I was lucky enough to be teaching in a school that had uh, a very well-equipped uh, gym. And I would be out every day um, coaching uh, boys, and I would train with them. And that, I felt, was, was the best way for me to keep fit. Um, we had fitness tests about three times a year. And if you failed any one of those, you weren't allowed then to referee um, in the European fixtures or, or internationals if you didn't pass the, uh, the, the fitness tests. And there were different types of fitness tests. Um, one that most people know is the, is the BEEP test. And I think we had to get to something like 13.4 on a BEEP test um, to be allowed to referee at the top level. So we did train, I definitely trained um, every day. Looking back on your career, during those international games, for example, how did you cope with the pressure in those big decisions? Well, you, you just don't think about that. When you're refereeing, you're, you're just wanting, A, to enjoy yourself, B, to be part of this wonderful um, atmosphere, uh, and you just really want to get it right for the players because they're trying hugely hard uh, and you want to play your part by not making any any mistakes if you can help it. The other thing is if you're refereeing in front of um, 60,000 people at Twickenham or, or, or the Millennium, you actually can't hear uh, individual um, individual noises. It's just white noise apart from the scrum half talking in your ears. So you don't get put off by uh, people shouting at you to say you're rubbish or anything like that. I mean... I'll never forget, never forget having refereed um, in the borders uh, Melrose against Gala 
which is a, a, one of the biggest fixtures in Scotland. The referee does that match on a Saturday in front of about 12,000 people. And it went well. Uh, it was a good game. And uh, any mistakes I made did not have any material effect on the game. And I think everybody was quite happy with, with how I refereed. And then on the Wednesday after, I refereed two prep school teams, so under 13 teams, where there was about 30 people watching. And it was a freezing day. And um, I got more stick on the sideline on that Wednesday than I had all day on the Saturday. So it's one of those smaller games, really, that um, you, you, you can hear the voices. The, the pressure, you, you get nervous like any player before you go on the pitch, but as soon as the whistle goes, you've got a job to do. And you're just focusing 100% on, on trying to get it right. Um, and you know, whatever people say, you, you have to put it out of your, out of your way. I mean, the, the scrum hours will keep chatting at you, say you've missed this, you've missed that, you, you've missed the other. Yeah, it does make you um, question uh, a tight decision. But if you dwell on it, you've missed the next one. So you, you, you train yourself to ignore that kind of chat. You'll, you'll get some information in from your touch judges. You know, if it's a penalty or something like that, I'll go to, to have a chat to a touch judge and put my hand over the mic and say, you know, what are the offsides like? What, what's the breakdown like? And, and we would have talked beforehand, and I would say, look, I really want to... I've, I've, I've watched both teams play. This is the other thing. I think um, spectators know now that the teams will have watched each other on video and will be looking for weaknesses. They'll also have watched uh, the referee to see what he's like at different areas. What's he like at the breakdown? Where does he stand? Um, how much does he allow leeway on, on what we call the gate coming in from behind their own players at rocks uh, and malls and things like that what's it like at uh, scrum put in and stuff like that so they'll, they'll have watched videos of us but referees will also watch videos of the teams um, that they're about to referee so occasionally I put the hand over the mic and say no am I getting the gate right things like that so you would get a little bit of, of help and you'd also get help during the, the fixture um, because I would say to the touch judges, look, um, I want you to talk to me all the time. If you think there's an offside in the middle of the, of the park, tell me. Uh, don't be upset if I ignore it, because if I don't think that you know, a winger being half a metre offside is having a material effect on the game, then I won't blow it. Um, so I'm getting lots of good feedback in, in the middle of the pitch. You just don't have time to dwell on things, Ed. Because the biggest thing I'm also interested in, especially that you said you retired in 2004, how do you think technology has made the game for referees? Do you think it's a big improvement on the decision-making? Um, well, that's a $64,000 question. I, I, I spoke to Nigel Owens about three years ago, um, and he was saying that the pressure on the referees is much greater now than it ever was when he was starting out in 2004, uh, there's a lot more money in the game um, and uh, bonuses or withdrawal of, of fees can rest on a, a referee's decision. Um, and he said it was a lot, you know, a huge, lot more pressure. I thought he used technology well in the World Cup. Um, I think any help that the guy in the middle can have on 
issues that he's not sure about, um, I think, can, on, can only help. I think it would be dangerous if um, the actual game was refereed by the video uh, um, referee, uh, so that the, the video referee is talking to the, um, the, the on-pitch referee as much as the touch judges are, because he or she isn't involved in it, can't get a feel for the, for the game. So I like the fact that um, Nigel Owens, from time to time, you're here talking, um, can you just check whether that was a forward pass whilst the game is still going on? Or can you just check that 13 was behind the kicker? And you hear him talking like that. So he's in charge of what he's deciding. And I think that is really good. I think the... Um, I know there was criticism about it taking too long at the World Cup, but... You know, for some games, it, it will turn on a five-point try, and you've got to be absolutely sure that the guy has got the ball down. I think there was one example, wasn't there? Um, I can't remember which game, game it was. And it looked 100% sure that this was a try. And when it went to the video, um, he just knocked it on. Uh, I think we'd almost the guy had almost got back ready to take the conversion. Uh, and that would have been a travesty, because that would have been played back and the referee would have been hung out to dry, and the game could have gone the other way. So I'm a fan of technology. Why on earth they don't bring it into football? I've just got no idea. I totally agree. Relating to the grassroots of refereeing, do you think um, there should be more programmes for, let's say, universities or even at schools such as Shiplake to introduce coaching to promote refereeing so students can get a better understanding and experience in that sort of role? Because everybody at school, they play the sport a lot, but people don't really understand the a job a referee does. Well, I think the RFU uh, agree with you, and they've brought in a number of programmes. They've got some excellent uh, training programmes, and uh, we started now at Shiplake um, with Level 1 uh, refereeing, which means that you can, uh, I think, referee the under-12s or something like this, uh, and we've got some of our boys who are on this program now. Interestingly, we had the Shiplake Sevens um, a week last Sunday, and um, what, what, we had a 15-year-old uh, referee who came came down to. He's obviously done his level two, um, and you know we saw him, and he, he looked very young. <laughs> I didn't realise he was only 15, but he is now starting. That's his 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 goal. His target is to become an international rugby referee, and he's starting now at 15. Uh, and that's hugely different to, to when I started. You know, as I said, I was a player, coach, and then I went into refereeing. If you look at Wayne Barnes, Wayne Barnes started properly refereeing when he was about 16 or 17. So there are good programs out there at the moment, Ed, that, that people can get involved in um, if they want to. Now, just changing the topic in relation to your current job as the headmaster ship Shiplake, how did your refereeing career support you in teaching? I think we, we talked about um, some of the attributes you need as a, as a referee. Well, I think you need, as a leader in a school, whether you're leading a department or leading a boarding house or, or leading the academic life of the school, anything like that, you need those same qualities. You need to be able to make decisions. That's a big deal. Um, and the best leaders are the ones who can quickly weigh up all the information and make a decision. No leader is going to make the right decision 100% of the time, but the best leaders are the ones who can make the best decisions quickly 
uh, and assimilating all the data that they've got. So I definitely think that uh, has helped me um, in my career as a headmaster. I think the way you manage people as well, um, I, I think that has transferred over from uh, from refereeing. I mean, you, you want to be able to have humor in the way that you deal with people, but also people beneath you don't want to be patronized, and they also um, they need to be laughing with you and never, ever, ever feel that you're laughing at them. So that type of, of, of man management, I think, um, I've taken from rugby and I hope has helped me um, as, as as a headmaster. And the other thing I talked about was knowing the laws of the game. I think knowing your business well is incredibly important. Um, so a lot of the, the work that I do as a headmaster is reading uh, around uh, topics so that I will be able to set a vision uh, for the school based on on information from different sets of media. It used to be, of course, it was just a written word, but now much of what um, I glean about uh, life in education comes from uh, Twitter, uh, some of it from Facebook, certainly some of it from LinkedIn, uh, blogs, uh, much different types of, of, of media. And I spend a lot of my time looking at this and either saying, well, that's a good idea, I want to read more about that, or thinking, well, that's ludicrous, I'm going to actually write something uh, against what, what, what has been written there because that just practically uh, won't work. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really good question about whether you can transfer skills from, from a, a sport to your business like business life, and I, I'm absolutely sure that you can. Craig, that is great because I feel there's a lot of athletes out there who are retiring and I feel this show I hopefully will help them make decisions that what they've achieved in the, on a sports field can be transferred in an educational light. At the end of each interview, I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. What advice would you give to a university graduate who wants to pursue a career as a rugby referee? I think you've got to enjoy it, Ed, and above everything else. You know, it's no use going on the pitch as a referee being scared. Uh, and I see some referees who are like that. Uh, I see some referees who are complacent, particularly at, at, at school level um, now. So first of all, first and foremost, you've got to enjoy what you're going to do and want to be part um, of it. I think those um, people who are um, university graduates now who who are perhaps not going to, to play at the top level, not going to get a contract for, with a Premier Club or anything like that. Uh, there's still a great life to be had as a professional referee. I, I visited many places around the world that I would never have done had I not been um, a referee. And so that's something to look forward to uh, as well. And you can be part of these big games, you know, going to... Perpignan and refereeing Perpignan against Narbonne in a, in, amongst the French. I mean, hugely challenging, hugely challenging. Uh, and you want, you have to want to have those challenges. Um, it was it was a marvellous experience. Uh, and I was I have this saying here at school that that challenge creates character. And so you're putting yourself forward to be challenged like that is going to create um, extra. Uh, components of your character without a shadow of a doubt. So I think as a university graduate, if you want to develop um, your personality, develop yourself as a character, you want to be challenged. So I think that's a big, big deal for um, 
people maybe wanting to go in and taking up refereeing properly. In the first uh, the first game I did after coming down to uh, to Shiplake, I, well, sorry, the last game I did was um, um, Leinster against uh, um, Grunt Dragons, something like that. And that was at Lansdowne Road. It was the last match there before um, they tore it down and, and built it up again. And then I came here, and the first match I had here was, I think, uh, Slough Fort uh, against um, Oxford Harlequins Fort. Um, and in a very different way, that was equally challenging because I didn't have any help from touch judges. I was dealing with people who weren't very fit and who didn't want any advantage uh, played, but they still wanted to enjoy it. And, and I had to be challenged to make sure that I wasn't uh, trying to, to referee to an international standard in terms of, of decisions. They, they, weren't, they didn't care two hoots um, whether uh, a guy was a meter offside at the kickoff because the guy wasn't ever going to be quick enough um, to get to the ball because the ball obviously wasn't kicked very well and had gone 20 meters instead of 11 meters. So, you know, I was, there was lots of challenges to be had um, as a referee. I would, I would love more people to go into it um, and not actually just uh, retired players or failed players, but those who, who could genuinely want it to be their sport. Greg, that is fantastic. I totally agree that especially nowadays there are a lot of graduates out there that I think we're in a society where you have to challenge yourself to find the job you want to enjoy. Lastly, Greg, how can people interact with you? Well, if you want to interact, obviously, uh, much like you, Ed, I'm sure I've, I've um, got a LinkedIn connection. Uh, I tweet um, quite regularly. So um, if people look for Shiplake HM, on Twitter, they can catch up with me then, uh, LinkedIn, and also through the Shiplet College website. Fantastic, Greg. To all the listeners out there, all the links that Greg has mentioned will be on the podcast notes down below. Greg, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today, and thank you so much. Great pleasure, Ed, and good luck with everything. What a really interesting career journey from Greg. What I found refreshing while speaking to Greg during that interview was anything is possible in sport. It doesn't matter what your age is. If you've got that passion and you have that commitment, you can be involved in sport at the lowest level, but also the highest level of sport. Most of all, to all the listeners out there who are not sure what they want to do as a career, I just hope this episode really provided you that information that sport can really develop your skills and they can really be transferable to different industries in this case education now if you enjoyed today's show then i'd really appreciate your support by getting the word out so if you've got any friends who might find this episode helpful to them by leaving a rating or if you've got a time to write a review on itunes that would be fantastic. I would really appreciate your support. At the end of each show, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from the guest speaker. Greg said, challenge creates characters. If you are thriving to be successful in life, you need to challenge yourself to really receive the rewards. <laughs>